And as you're seated, tell your neighbor you're glad they're sitting next to you today. It's a chance they might buy lunch. I don't know. <laughs> hey, super great to see you today. Uh, I want you to turn your Bibles, Psalm 85. I'm going to begin a new series today called Return to God, America. And this is certainly not just for our congregation today. I wish that this could be a prophetic word to all of America. Because America's great need, as you'll see, is to return to God. As you're making your way to Psalm 85, I want to just mention a comment or two about the, uh, the epidemic of COVID that we're experiencing the second round. Clearly, I'm concerned like you are when I'm told our hospitals are full, when I'm told it impacts young people, schools are just starting. I'm praying every day and more and more for this. There's been probably 15, 18 people in our church that have been infected. Thank God all of them are getting back to normal again. Uh, I do know some church members that have had family members to die. So it's a very serious thing. Uh, but I tend to uh, go with uh, brother, uh, brother, uh, Governor Abbott. He is a Christian, by the way. I've met him. But I tend to like his approach. He said he believes more in personal responsibility rather than mandates, be they from government or business, in terms of how we care for ourselves. These are our lives, and uh, certainly you are smart enough. There's enough information out there to help you make a decision if you choose to be vaccinated or not, to wear a mask or not wear a mask. Listen, if you feel comfortable wearing masks, wear them in church. If you don't, you know you don't have to. But uh, I do want to encourage you to, to, to be very aware. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're feeling sick, if you've got temperature, kind of flu kind of thing, well, don't come to church. Uh, uh, watch online. Let us pray for you in your home. If your kids have some extra sniffles. We just want to do what we can to keep other people safe. I mean, I don't like using the little hand sanitizer, but I shake a lot of hands and uh, I'm starting to use it again. And I, I want to do everything I can to help keep not only me safe and my family, but also the people that I, I come in contact with. If you need a little more space, this is our largest service. Saturday night, uh, you might find uh, more enjoyable to you and you might even like it. So anyway, Psalm chapter 85, the context is the Babylonian captivity. If you know anything about the nation of Israel, you know God warned them through Moses, if you keep messing up, it's going to cost you one day. And they didn't listen. And about 700 years after Moses said it, God rounded them all up, sent in uh, two pagan uh, dictators and uh, kings, and they took them to a foreign land. And thankfully, they were only there 70 years. God, in his mercy, would bring them back to Jerusalem. And this psalm is likely written after the 70 years when they're headed back home. He uh, listened to, he says, Lord, you were favorable to your land. Imagine now, you've been gone from your homeland for 70 years. You're coming back home. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. Um, you forgave the iniquity of your people. And you withdrew all your wrath and you returned from your hot anger. And before I read any more, I want to show you like a sine wave the history of the nation of Israel. And it's not just Israel's history. I believe it's America's history. It's the history of any nation that God blesses. What happened, the nation began to seek God, the nation of Israel, and they, things began to get better. And they just kept getting better. God's presence was there. They were prospering in their lives. But sadly, they peaked out. They got used to the good life. Uh, they just assumed that tomorrow would be like today, that they didn't have to do the things that caused them to be blessed. And then their hearts grew cold. Their hearts grew uh, hard to God, and sin entered into their lives. The worldliness began to take over. And before you know it, they began to draw away from God. And then when they got away from God, guess what? God disciplined them. God judged them. And at the lowest point of that judgment, they would cry out to God. And when they cried out to God, they would begin an upward turn, God restoring their lives and blessing them again. That's the nation of Israel. It's the nation. It happens in individual lives, in churches, in communities. But notice what he said in verse 4. After he looked towards the past, verse 4 says, and I want you to say this with me, Restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put away your anger towards us. And then he says, Will you not revive us again that we may rejoice in you? Will you, God, not revive us again? to rejoice in you. Now, uh, revive or restore, that's what we're talking about today, America returning to God. But these words revive, restore, it means to live again. 
And if I can show you a picture of the same plant, one plant is, uh, is wilted which simply means somebody was on vacation or somebody has been getting the, the kids ready for school, uh, shopping, uh, starting dance lessons, starting soccer lessons, and have neglected the plants. You see them and you say, oh, no, and all you have to do is just get a cup of water. It brings life, and you pour it on that plant, and you wait a couple hours, and something amazing happens. The plant is revived. Well, I want to suggest to you, Revival comes when the living water of God returns to his people. And that's the condition of America today uh, on the left. America is a wilted nation. America has turned her back on God. Uh, and, I, and when I say America, I don't mean everyone. There's millions of Christians like you and I that love the Lord, that worship him, that try to serve him. But I think we all agree as a nation, we've turned our back on God. We have forgotten God in America. Uh, but revival is a spiritual awakening. It can happen to an individual, it can happen to a church, it can happen to a community, it can happen to a nation. And this is my hope uh, for, uh, for America. By and large, revivals have always started when people became convicted of their sins. I mean, it's easy to blame uh, Mr. Biden, but I can't. He, he's not called me one time, I can't believe it and ask me what he should do about the border crisis or Afghanistan or, or whatever. The, he's not called me one time. I don't have any influence over him. But what I can do is in my own life, turn my life towards God. And what will happen? It's like if you start a fire, if you've ever been a camper uh, or just made a fire out in the yard burning leaves, you set your original pile of leaves on fire, well, what happens? That fire begins to go wherever there's dry leaves. And before you know it, you got a fire that's burning. And in that case, you call the fire department. But how many know the same thing happens when a Christian returns to God, restores their relationship to God, gets active in living their Christian life? The fire of God burns in their heart, and it begins to go out in their circles. I'm telling you, your friends will be impacted if you have a revival in your own personal life. If you're plateaued in your spiritual life, or maybe you've kind of headed on the downstroke, maybe you've just lost something, if you will pick back up, it will affect your family, your neighborhood, the ball team, the class, the work environment, wherever you go. How many know when Jesus is burning in you, it influences people in the world? Well, this is what we're going to talk about. It's going to be, a, a hopefully, an uplifting message. Uh, I'm going to start. We'll do this several weeks, but we'll see how ordinary people, just like you and me, like Daniel. Daniel was a slave. He went into a pagan land, and guess what happened? God anointed that man, and he influenced the nation. You and I can be world changers in our own world, seeing our nation come back to God. And uh, I think this will be helpful to you. I, I was inspired by this when David Barton was here, speaking to us about the history of revivals in America. But the truth that I want to bring to you in this series is this simple one. When people return to God, a spiritual awakening can change a nation. So here we go. Uh, let's talk about America first. America, our only hope is to return to God in times of spiritual awakening. I need to be honest with you. I'm deeply concerned about America. I'm deeply concerned about our nation. I'm deeply concerned about the direction that she's heading. How many know atheism is rising in America? The, the younger you are, the less likely you are to believe in God. The more likely you are to believe in a secular philosophy of life, to have been taught there is no God. Uh, his, the Bible is a storybook. Uh, we have failed a younger generation because we've not communicated the truth of God to them. If you're a millennial, most likely you have been taught now for several decades the secular truths of God, and millennials are one of the largest groups of unbelievers in America today. How many know in America today Jesus and the Bible are minimized, they're mocked? When I was a boy, uh, my principal, Theron Long, I can remember in the first grade in a, a school in Hernando, Mississippi, he would open his Bible every morning and he would read the Bible and he would pray to the students. That's not happening anymore. America in the 1960s, our Supreme Court said we don't want to have the Bible verses uh, on the walls of our school, so we exchanged the Ten Commandments that said thou shalt not kill, and now we have metal detectors. Now we have a police force on our campuses today. Listen, something is wrong. Something has happened in America that's not good. Crime and violence are skyrocketing, particularly in our inner cities. 
And our Congress is approve, may approve another 3 to $4 trillion in extra spending, and it's going to cause inflation that will make your money worth less, worth less and less and less. <laughs> I saw a little funny uh, picture the other day, and it was about a bride. She was a, no, it was about a woman in the hospital delivering a baby, and she had a couple nights in the hospital, and uh, she had her baby, and guess what it cost her? It cost her $60. Today it costs thousands of dollars, and the reason is because they've inflated our currency. Our currency means nothing. Well, this is, this is some form, I think, of judgment. We're losing our freedoms. They're being taken away by government mandate. Uh, Andy Griffith has been replaced to primetime, lifetime sex on TV. I mean, if you happen to watch old Andy and Barney lately, it was just a different world they lived in. Um, it, it was a world where there was certainly a greater degree of morality, but in today there is a push, and thankfully, I don't think it's in Texarkana public schools, but in public schools across America, there's a push towards kindergartners to teach them alternative lifestyles, to teach them about their own sexuality, to teach them how to find sexual pleasure as a five or six-year-old. I mean, something is wrong with this in our world today. This is America. Drug abuse is rampant. Uh, our kids are being taught uh, about socialism and communism. We have leaders in our Congress today that are avowed socialists, and we're teaching Marxism in our schools to our children to deal with race. Listen, something is wrong, and what's wrong is America has turned her back on God. During the horrible time of lockdown and COVID, I read a statistic about England. In England, there are now one million more alcoholics in England because of the COVID lockdown. Listen, I fully understand that. I drank when I was a teenager. I understand escaping. I understand getting away. But I'm telling you, friends, you can drink yourself into a, into a you know, to where you just don't know what's going on. But the problem, you're going to wake up and you have to do it the next day and the next day and the next day. But somehow, if you find God, how many know God will bring you hope, stability, strength? He's your rock. He's your peace. Well, this is our, this is our, our nation today. Do you, do you realize the state of Oregon, the governor just voted a couple days ago that they would take a three-year period and it's going to be okay that graduates, that you can graduate with your diploma in the 12th grade and not be able to, uh, uh, to read and to do math proficiently. In other words, you can get a degree. The same thing happened in Nevada. It's in, in uh, 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 New Jersey. And what's happened, we're dumbing down America because we have taken God out of our schools. There's no personal responsibility. Kids are not being taught accountability to God. One day they're going to give an account for their lives. They're given, there's, there's, in many schools, the teachers are afraid for their lives because there's no discipline among the children. You say, what's wrong in America? Our families are being, being destroyed. What's wrong in America? I'll tell you, America has turned her back on God. And we are doing this in the cycle that I told you about. Um, here's my question to you, though. Could a national spiritual awakening change this? Yes. Yes. If there were to be a revival, if God would revive us, if Christians like you and I would, would first find freshness in our own life and begin starting fires to influence people, could the nation change? Because here's, what, here's the truth. When, when people change, society changes. Let me read you uh, true stories here about two revivals. Uh, it was about uh, uh, written by uh, Dr. Bill Patterson, How Can the Church Change the Country? And he gives a historical account of what happened in two nations, the British uh, nation of Wales and also Korea about 100 years ago. Listen to what he said. In every country where Christianity has gained a strong foothold, major change has taken place. Historian J. Edwin Orr wrote that in the Welsh revival of the early 1900s, now this is a little over 100 years ago, in the Welsh revival, uh, so many coal miners came to the Lord that the mules that hauled the coal from the mines had to adjust. They used to respond to cursing, but since the new Christians didn't curse, the mules had to be retrained. <laughs> So what does that mean? You've got this poor mule, and I'm old enough to remember when we had some mules on the farm. Mules are stubborn. You had to have a stick, and you had to have the reins to give them a pop every once in a while. And uh, in our world, when we lived on the farm, they'd cuss at those mules too. And to get that old mule to pull that heavy thing up that little hill, you'd cuss a bit. You'd say, hey, you blankety blank blank, I'm going to beat the blank out of you if you don't get your blank going. How I many used to talk like that? Let me see your hand here. 
you bunch of liars, you lie in church. How many still talk like that? Let me. <laughs> but can you imagine people having such a radical encounter with God that their language changes? Well, how many know the same thing would happen to domestic violence? Where there's violence in homes, how many know if, we, if Jesus gets a hold of somebody, they're not only going to change the way they talk, they're going to change the way they treat their wife, change the way they treat their kids. But he didn't stop there in Wales. The police found they had little work to do. And instead of guarding rowdy bars, they found themselves with time on their hands. So many of these police precincts all formed gospel choirs and they began to sing in churches. It's a historical account. Crime was down. Well, what do we say we need for more crime today? Well, it's a gun problem. You know, well, it's a, it's a, it's a gun problem. That's usually what comes up. It's not a gun problem. It's a morality problem. It's a heart problem. Listen, many of us, including my wife, probably used to steal. <laughs> but I did on occasion when I was growing up. But I don't steal anymore. Because Jesus changes our heart. See, this is an awakening. Listen about Korea. The nation of Korea, the revival of the early 1900s changed the country. A few men and only a quarter of 1% of women could read and write. But when Christianity claimed to the nation, revival swept the land, schools and colleges for women were founded. And today, South Korea has one of the highest literacy rates in the world. And he goes on and says, what made the difference in these two nations and dozens more, tens of thousands of people became Christians and set about bettering their countries. I'm telling you, when you become a stronger Christian, you're going to influence your workplace. Wow. I'm telling you, when Jesus gets a hold of your heart, if you're a supervisor, if you're a boss, you're going to offer to pray for people. I'm telling you, something will happen. Something is different when a person's heart is touched by God. See, so this is, this is what we're talking about. This is what America needs. We don't need governors saying it's okay that kids can't read. What kind of life are they giving the kids? Can't, can't read and, and, and can't, can't do math when you get out of high school. Well, what kind of life are they going to have? But it's perpetuating itself in America. And so many, listen, I'm not aware of those things. I'm not talking about our local schools, but I'm talking about around America. There's failure everywhere. And all the government wants to do is throw money at it. I'm telling you what we need is a spiritual revival that touches the hearts of men and women. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now, America's rejection of God is not new. Israel re rejected God and his ways. Now, in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about key figures in the nation of Israel. We'll talk about Daniel. We'll talk about Nehemiah, maybe Ezra, how they were used, John the Baptist, how they were used to literally to speak words, to do things, to lead prayers that got the attention of a nation. I'm telling you, that same thing can happen on your ball club, wherever you go, your bowling league, wherever you are, when Christian influence is burning with God, how many know it's going to impact others? Let me tell you what God said in that when Solomon's temple was dedicated, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, God said, if you or your descendants abandon me, this is why we need to return because we've abandoned, if you disobey my commands I've given you and if you worship other gods, I'm going to uproot the people from the land and I'm going to reject this temple that I've made holy to honor my name. And then there's a prediction that God makes because his people abandoned the Lord and worshiped other gods. This is why I brought all these disasters on them. And I want to suggest to you in just a moment that a lot of the disasters in America are not man-made or not caused by man. Well, they are caused by man. They're caused by the sins of man. It's not just a world where there's no outside causes and everything is in our little cosmos. Sin matters in Moses' day, Moses warned the people that God would judge the nation. Somehow they made it to their promised land under Joshua. But after Joshua, things were blessed and they started turning away from God. And the whole book of Judges is just like this. And the reason is given twice. It's because every man did that which was right in their own eyes versus the eyes of God.
They would get close to God. God would bless them. Their hearts would go cold and they would become idolatrous. They would become worldly. And then they would fall away and God would send a foreign power. They would capture them. They would, they would make them slaves. And then they'd cry out to God. And when they cried out to God, God answered their prayer and God put them back on top again. Well, I want to suggest this may be what's happening in America. We hear about weather changes, weather anomalies, but everything falls under this grand title of, of man-made global warming or global cooling, depending on what the temperature is. Well, can I tell you, friend, there's always been weather patterns that change, and I suggest to you that it's not just us responsible. You see, the world doesn't believe there's a God in the world. But you think not too many months ago in the spring floods that we had, Usually, it, it, it rains a lot in our springtime, but usually it starts drying out sometimes in late April, in May, June, July, August, pretty hot. This year, we were getting one and three inch rains, it seemed like, every week throughout May, throughout June. We were flooded. Other parts of America, like they are now, are in a drought. If you look at California and the, and the northwest uh, of, our, of our country, uh, their water aquifers are drying up. They don't have reservoirs. Uh, that great agricultural breadbasket uh, uh, out there, they don't have any water. And, and, of course, if you like almonds like I do, put them in my little fruit shake every morning. It's supposed to be good for me. Uh, who cares about California if they don't have almond trees? I, I buy my almonds from Sam's anyway. <laughs> now, that's funny. But how many know if God is trying to shake us and get our attention, come on, is it possible that this is what's happening in America, uh, the loss of personal freedom. Because this is what happens. When God is no longer recognized as the ruler of the land, a man and men, women, begin to take God's place. And when they take God's place, you lose personal freedoms. You live more by the mandate and dictate of a government. We had a good jobs report the other day, two weeks ago, but I read they had added 225,000 jobs to the, to the government sector. So, again, I'm not an anti-government person. I'm just saying, in America, it seems like government becomes God. Whenever we have a problem that we can't fix, we look to government to fix it. And what I'm suggesting to you is we need to look to God to fix it. There needs to be a cry to God. Listen, our families are being destroyed. Uh, there's violence, violent crime. It's nothing in the major cities uh, around America that every, every weekend, 25, 50, 75 people are shot on the streets. It's a war zone. It's places that ambulances won't go anymore. It's places this police won't go anymore. I'm glad I live in Texarkana, USA. How about you? Listen, we've got our own share of this, but it, have, have you ever thought maybe even COVID? Is God has removed his hand of blessing and he's waiting for nation and the nations to cry out to him so that we would return to God? Now, again, as I said, I don't know that we're going to ever return to Mayberry in America. Uh, not too long ago, we last week actually, we talked about the Antichrist. I believe we are in an era that is preceding the coming of the Antichrist and the coming of a one-world government, the coming of, you know, if you don't have the mark, you can't buy or sell. That ought to shake you up a little bit because every time they say globalism, that's what they're talking about. And our solutions are not state or national solutions. Our state are more world solutions as we go. So, but what I'm suggesting is if a revival, if it comes to America, life will change all around us. We could still be going towards the Antichrist and have revival, come on now, where millions of people are coming to Christ. And it could be that these calamities that we're experiencing in America that we've just kind of gotten used to because we have a nice little world and we, we know God, it could be God's wake-up call. So here's the question. What can God's people do to see our nation return to God? I want to give you some very practical things that you and I can do, not to influence Mr. Biden, but to influence the circle of influence that you have around you. Everybody's got a neighbor. Everybody has friends. Everybody has coworkers. Uh, everybody shops in the same store. We see the same clerks. Listen, what would happen if a fire started in us? And it started burning around our neighborhoods. I want to tell you, friend, we'd go into revival here in Texarkana, USA. Come on, somebody give the Lord a, a good hand. Let me, again, now, what can God's people do to see our nation return to God? I want to read to you 
arguably the greatest uh, scripture or promise for national uh, awakening, because that's what we're talking about here in the, all of the Bible. Second Chronicles 7, we're still at, at Solomon's temple, but notice what it says. The scripture says, when I shut up the heavens, who is I? It's God. When God says, I withhold the rain from your crops, when God says, I command the locusts to devour the land, whether it's literal locusts, some commentators believe it's a picture of armies, armies coming in like locusts. You see that, that, that parallel in Scripture and coming in and destroying the land. Uh, or if, if I send pestilence among my people. Now, this word pestilence, see, these are all natural judgments, famine, pestilence. Uh, but what is pestilence? Pestilence is a plague. It is any contagious or infectious disease that is epidemic and can cause death. Now, what comes to mind? COVID comes to my mind. Could COVID be an evidence that God has removed his hand of blessing? Remember, when God began to judge the people, what did it cause them to do? Cry out to God. Cry out to God, and that cry is what got God's attention, and God healed their land. Listen, if you have money in your pocket and health, you can live like you don't need God. And I don't mean to be a multimillionaire. Listen, if you're a lifestyle, I understand. I used to be like this when I was young. If I just had some money to buy beer, if I just had some money to buy some papers, and if I had money to go on a date, I was fine. And I could do whatever I wanted to do. And there's all of us in our lives, there's a comfort level that if we have health, if we have freedom, if we've got a car or whatever, we can live under this illusion we don't need God. But what if something happens like COVID hits you and you find yourself on the back in the hospital and you're not getting any better and the medicine's not working and your organic food is not helping and vitamin D is not helping and zinc is not helping. What it makes you do, listen, you cry out to the doctor first, but at some point, maybe we cry out to God. And I'm certainly not saying plagues like that are good things. I'm telling you, friends, though, that they could be evidence from a biblical perspective that God has removed his hand of blessing from the nation. And when God does that, there is a solution. And this is what I'm going to move you towards. He says, verse 14, if my people, if the church, the believers who are called by his name will do four things. Number one, say it with me. Humble themselves. Number two, pray number three seek. seek my face and number four turn from their wicked ways God's people now listen I know if you're here on church on Sunday more than likely uh, you're not a Satan worshiper at some level here either you maybe you're, now maybe your spouse made you come to church my mom used to make me go there's a few of us like that but most of us are here because we love God most of us are here when, when we were worshiping today, genuinely expressed your love and worship to God. But I've been a Christian. Actually, today is my 45th birthday as a Christian, 45 years ago. I, and I have never backslidden from God. Now, uh, what I have done, though, is I've got a little worldly at sometimes. What I have done is I've plateaued in my spiritual life. Not much Bible reading, not much prayer. Well, maybe some of us are like that. And maybe return to God is return to our first love. Return to the place, because this is what the Bible's saying. The solution is not by electing the right politician. I mean, we can compare current and past administrations, so which one may be better, but the politician's not the solution. And another spending bill is not the solution. I'm telling you, friends, we need to return to God. We need to once again be one nation under God. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's go a little bit further on this. I want to look at these four things about America's solution for our backsliding. It rests not on the world, but it rests on if my people. Remember, if my people, God's people. I can't blame worldly people for doing what they do. We, we changed our phone service recently from uh, Verizon to AT&T. And ever since then, I've been getting messages about one a week. I got one this morning. Uh, me and about 20 other people that I didn't know. And it's always from this gal that says, uh, I, I, I'd like you to, you know, be in my bed. Uh, uh, you know, whatever. I'm hot, I'm sexy, reply. Well, 
she does what she does because she doesn't know Christ. How many were wild and woolly before you came to Jesus? More lie. How many used to lie more before you came to Jesus than you lie now? Hey, I want to tell you, I was a wild and woolly guy. And it took me a few years to get over most of it. And it's taken me a number of years to get over some more of it. But I've still got some stuff. Returning to God. Who asked what it was it, Pastor? I'm not going to tell you. Pat, you want to confess something? No. No. Anybody else? See, you want to confess something? Linnell, honey, why don't you stand up? I'll confess for you. You know, I'm just teasing here. But, but I'm being serious because our nation is in trouble. And what was the first thing he said to do? Humble yourself. Now, what the heck does that mean? Humble ourselves. There, there's two people we can depend on in life to make our life happen. Ourself or God. I was raised on John Wayne. John Wayne taught me to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. How many remember old John Wayne? Well, it's good to be responsible but let me tell you, I can't do enough to make things happen for me. I need God. Let me tell you something that you can practice 30 seconds a day that will absolutely help you when it comes to being humble. You see, being humble is simply a recognition that everything I do and everything I have and everything I'll accomplish is because of the goodness of God. Paul said it this way, describing Jesus, in him we live and move and have our being. Here's what I do. I did it this morning before I got up, and it only took me 30 seconds. I got out of my bed before coffee or anything, and I got out on my knees, and I said, Lord, I can't live today without you. Lord, my heart beating, I can't control it. Would you be gracious and let my heart beat? Lord, I can't do anything that's going to help the people that are gathered unless you're with me today. And I just took a few seconds to humble myself and realize I need God. It's the first thing that that he said in his list of four, it's the first thing America needs and maybe God's trying to humble our pride. Come on now. And we're just caught up with it as Christian people. Come on, everybody say, God humble America. Yeah. What's the second thing? If my people, not only uh, if we uh, 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 humble ourselves, but if we pray. How many pray? Now that was an easy one. You know I couldn't catch you on that one. Everybody prays. Here's the way I pray. Lord, you know dove season's coming up in just a couple weeks, and I sure would like a good place to hunt, and, and I'd really like some birds to be down, Lord, and, and I pray that way for a while. And come November, I'm going to start praying, Lord, I sure would like some ducks. I got a few places to duck hunt, but last year the ducks didn't come down early enough, Lord, and, and I missed it because of COVID. So if you would help me be able to get double limits this year, Lord, and catch up, I sure would appreciate that. And then spring is really when you get to praying. Lord, I pray that the turkeys are gobbling this year, and I pray that everywhere I go, there's a gobbler and I, I pray I see him. And I, now, how many pray sort of like that? Okay, how many pray, Lord, when I go to Dillard's, let that big sale, where it's not only 50% off, but it's 35% of 50% off, off and, and, and let those, that red one that I've been looking at and that pink one and that lavender one, and oh, in Jesus' name. So, so you may not pray for turkeys, but everybody's got some. And how many know there's nothing wrong with any of that? How many know God delights to bless his people? But I think the praying God's talking about is the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. Remember in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus taught us to pray? How, how, how do we pray? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread, my food, my shelter, my job, and all that. It's, listen, I got to be honest. It's easier for me to pray for my daily bread first before I think about God's will in the world and my neighborhood and everything else. But I want to ask you to make a change with me. Before you start praying for yourself, let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your will be done in Texarkana. Let it be done in America. Let our nation find our way back to you. Lord, let your will be done among the politicians that are trying to decide, the doctors that are trying to decide about COVID. Lord, there was another shooting in our, in our, uh, that our newspaper says in our town. Lord, would you pray that your will would be done to stop this violence? Lord, there's another child abuser on the front page of the newspaper. Lord, that guy did what he did because he didn't have a strong relationship with God. Would you just stop this? Would you protect these little children? And then turkeys and ducks and doves and everything else. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand. 
So what is it first? Humble ourselves. What was number two? Pray. Pray. What's number three? Here he goes. Seek my face. Now I want to read a scripture. Well, look, let me read scripture to you in Jeremiah 29. It says, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with now, how in the world do you seek God with all your heart? Let me give you an example. How many have lost their car keys? And life's pretty much stops when you lose your car keys. But, okay, let me ask this question. How many have lost your phone? Life really stops when you lose your phone. I don't care if the kids have to go to school. I don't care if your wife is going to be late for her job. And I don't care if the dog hadn't been fed yet. That phone becomes the most important thing in the house. Everybody's calling the phone. Everybody's listening for the beep, the buzz, or the vibrate. Everybody is looking in jackets that you hadn't worn for six months. And if you can't find that phone, it's 10 o'clock now in the morning, and the kids are late, and your wife is late, and the boss is calling, you're going to go down to the AT&T store and get you another one. And if you don't have the money, you're going to borrow the money. And if you can't borrow the money, you're going to steal the money. How many can say, I'm right with you, Pastor? You know what I'm talking about. Is it possible that maybe we could seek his face in the way we look for lost keys and lost phones? And when uh, we change our life just a little bit and we begin not just looking for doves and ducks and decoys and all those things, nothing wrong with that, but we start looking for God. Because when we start doing that, you know what God's going to do? He's going to give you an assignment and you're going to do it and the fire is going to start. Because you see, this is not just a man-made thing. We don't just bring a speaker in and advertise revival. I mean, a revival starts when God begins to pour out his spirit on the the world. And didn't, didn't Peter say that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit on all flesh? Well, how many know we're in the last days? And how many know this is what we need the Holy Spirit to do? But he's not going to do it without us. How many know it's a cooperation with the divine? Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand. Boy, this last one, we may have to pick it up later. If my people will turn from their wicked ways. Now, I know that's no one in this second service, but that first service, let me tell you what, it was filled with folks. I tell you what my problem is. I like some of my wicked ways. Just like you do. But the problem is, it's like like a, a, a pier and a boat and the boat pulls up and the boat didn't get secured to the pier and the wicked waves start pulling this way and you're on the and 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 pretty soon you're gonna have to make a choice which way you're gonna go and you can't go both ways. so you didn't think I could do that did you I could go a little bit farther you, you, we're gonna get to we, we'll talk about that that, that that another week in a little greater depth but let me tell you what sin in my relationship with God is like it's like pornography in a marriage If you've ever been told pornography will help your marriage, it is an absolute lie. How would you feel if you're a wife and every time you see your husband on his phone, he's got a picture of of another woman? How would you feel if every time he's working, he's in a little chat room and somebody doesn't have their clothes? How would it make you feel, gals? It would hurt you deeply, wouldn't it? Make you want to get rid of the guy. That's the way God feels when we love things that he despises that when we have allowed our flesh to grow to such a degree that we love what he hates. But the Bible says if we would turn from our wicked ways, God would hear from heaven and God would heal our land. Come on, that's what we need today, friends. We need a revival to come to America. Let me suggest this in closing. It's going to be great to go to heaven. If I ask how many wants to go, want to go to heaven, everybody raises your hand. But God's looking for more than just people to go to heaven. He's looking for men and women to stand in the gap today. He's looking for someone to take the hand of heaven and to take the hand, as it were, of a neighbor that's away from God, a colleague that's away from God, a supervisor that's away from God, a president that's away from God, whatever it is, and that we be the bridge where the fire can begin to burn. Listen, friend, this is what we're going to talk about for a few weeks. But I want to close with a scripture in Hosea. Um, You see, because revival starts with you and I. Revival won't start in Hollywood. Revival won't start in Washington or Austin or Little Rock. Revival will start in your house and mine. Uh, Let me show you a little picture here to give you an illustration of something. 
That's my grandson, Titus. He turned two yesterday, and he just happened to be at our house. And uh, it's getting close to lunchtime, and, he, and, and I'm sitting in my little easy chair. We've been watching uh, Paw Patrol most of the morning. And uh, I'm ready for a change, but uh, up walks this little boy with this Nutella in his hand. And uh, he did the most amazing thing. He starts crawling up in my easy chair and sits right down here. Now, that's just, uh, it just doesn't get any better than that. And since I'd seen him, that's the most affection I'd gotten. And I heard this voice in the other room, and it was uh, Linnell. And she said, uh, uh, we're getting ready for lunch. Don't let them eat too much. And I thought, woman. I am getting the love of a lifetime, and I'm putting the stick into the Nutella. He's eating it until he decides it's not enough. Then he puts both fingers in there and begins to eat it. And then Lonnie is saying it's time for lunch. Listen, why do I share that story? Now, listen, I, I, I'm concerned about America for the rest of my life. I'm concerned about my health care. I'm concerned about my freedoms. But I'm more concerned for little Titus's lifetime. I'm more concerned for my children. And I want to encourage you to join me and let us find the impetus to being a spark of fire that returns people to God because the future of our nation is at stake. I'm not sure we could survive another 10 or 20 years with the direction that we're heading. Now, that doesn't mean we'll disappear, but we'll be some communist state or worse, or we'll be a part of the Antichrist network because we have lost this precious thing called the United States of America. I close with this scripture. It's in Hosea chapter 6. Now, this was written during the Assyrian captivity. So it's like they're in jail because they turned their backs on God. Listen to what he said. He says, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us, that's discipline, that he may heal us. See, he's torn us but so he may heal us. After two days, he'll revive us. And on the third day, he'll raise us up so we can live in his presence. And that's what America needs to return to the authority and to the presence of Almighty God. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet? And I, wanna, I want us to pray for America today. And... Uh, I hope you heard this today as a message that was intended to be sobering, but hopeful. Sobering in the sense of what is, hopeful in the sense of what can be. Think back what it was like in the country of Wales when the police were so busy arresting people who were violent, who were fighting, drunk, whatever the case is, and then something happened, the Jesus movement came. And the police had no, no jobs to do. Think about those mules. Think about the, the poverty of Korea when women were treated so harshly and wrongly. But when revival came, all of society improved. It happened then. It can happen now. Can happen now. Yeah. Why not let it happen here, here with us? Holy Spirit, would you just come and fall afresh on us now? I do want to pray for America, but I would like to pray for you first if you're here and say, Pastor, I feel like Jesus is drawing me to him. Maybe you're here today, and if you were honest, you would say, I don't know if I died today, if I'd go to heaven or hell. Well, I want to tell you, friends, we can settle that today. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you that would like to commit your life to Christ, just wave your hand at me so I'll know you're there, and we're going to pray for you, going to help you. You know, I was raised in church. I'm glad my mom did. Back then, you know, I didn't care to go to church, but mom made me go. Everybody say, thank God for mom. Thank God. And i tell you something I learned. I learned John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So from that, I always believed the Bible was true. I always believed that Jesus was the Savior. And I always knew that if I would follow him, my life would change. But you know what? I never did. And if I was 19 years of age, I was running from my problems. And I just thought, well, I'll just join the military and get away from things. But I met a Gideon. 
I joined the Navy. It was about August 10th. And I met a Gideon, and he gave me a little Bible in a, in a, in a, as we gathered before we went off to boot camp. And I'd just been living just a wild life, but something was missing in my heart. I tried, to fit, I tried to fill what was missing through school. I was on a scholarship. I had cute girls to date. I had a car. I had beer. I had pot. I had all those things. But I'd wake up the next morning, that empty hole would still be in my heart because there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every human being. And I read that Gideon Bible, and it told me about God's love for me, but it also told me that I needed to ask God for forgiveness, Bible verses, that ask God to forgive me and commit my life to follow him. And it's like my life was lived this way. I was doing my thing, 17, 18, 19, and whenever I'd get in trouble, I would look to God and say, God, would you help me? I remember one night I was, I'd been drinking too much, and I couldn't, shouldn't be driving home. And, and Highway 51 going to my house was flooded. And uh, the water, it was a, you know, by a lake. And the water was about a foot from coming over the road. And I was scared because it was a couple miles to go across that long levee. I pulled over and I said, God, please help me be safe. And I was safe. I got home. And you know what I did? I put God back on the shelf. And then I started living my life. But one day I came to a place where I realized... I can't have it my way and have it God's way. I can't have God's forgiveness and his peace and his purpose in life and still do my own thing. And I made that decision. It was August 5th, 1976. I said, Jesus, I believe in you. I want you to forgive me. And listen, I turned to follow him. And I've been living for Christ for 45 years. If that's you today and you say, Pastor, I need that kind of change. I want to commit my life to Christ today. Whether it's the first time or whether you've done it and got away, but you want to get back on track with God today, I'd love to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand, wave it at me? Just bold and courage, just lift your hand. God bless you. God bless you too, sir. And God bless you, ma'am. And God bless you, others today. Just wave your hand at us. Say, pray for us. Pray for us. Others today, say, pray for us. We want to get our hearts right with God. We want to put our trust in Him. Yes, a hand in the back. Give her a big hand. God bless you too, dear. Anybody else? You say, what are you doing? We're rejoicing with people that are turning their hearts to God. And some of you out there are thinking, I know that man wants something from me. I don't want a thing from you. I just want to be the one that points you to Jesus and somebody have the privilege to pray for you at the cross where you make your step to Christ. That's all I want from you. If you want to join the church another day, join it. If you don't, don't. But I want to help you get connected to Jesus because it will change your life. Anybody else today say, I want in on that? Okay, listen. All right, let's give these guys one more big hand. And you that raised your hand, come on up here. You that raised your hand, come on up here. Come on up here, dear. Let us pray for you. Come on up here. Let us pray for you. We'll meet you at the cross. Others, if you want to join them, all we're going to do up here is we're going to pray as we commit our hearts to Christ. Give them one more big hand today. People getting right with God. People getting right with God. If you, we'd love to pray for you, dear. Come on up. Let us pray for you. I need some workers. I need some altar workers up here with these guys. And what they're going to do is they're going to talk to you and uh, they're going to pray with you as you do the same thing that I did 45 years ago, a very simple, humble prayer that asks Christ to come in your life and, and commit your life to follow him the rest of your days. Let me tell you, we're real proud of you. Go ahead, and my wife, Linnell, is going to start talking to you, and uh, I'll join you in just a second. Let's close this way. If you're able to, would you take a knee with me and let's pray for America for just a moment? If you're able to, and we're bow, we're, we bowed on our knee as an act of humility. And we just simply, as Christians around this room, we all agree that America needs to return to God. We all agree that the great need in America, Lord Jesus, is a spiritual revival. But it doesn't start in the White House. It starts in the church house with us, if my people. And today, Lord, I want to ask you to help us humble ourselves and pray for your will to be done first that we would seek your face like looking for that phone and turn from our wicked ways God we ask you to forgive us where we have erred and we pray that there would be poured into our heart a renewed love for God that will change everything in our world 
for Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a good hand. Listen, I love you. Thank you for coming. Pastor Travis will, Mike will have the last Amen. word. As we close, we're going to celebrate and do one more thing. We're going to have a baptism. And that's just exciting as people come in the altar, people going and um, just taking a step closer to God. So if you'll hang on just a minute if you can. And we'll see who's getting baptized today and we'll just uh, agree with them. Amen. Hey. <laughs> hey, Cole. Well, hey, we've got a baptism real fast. Would you tell me your name and why you're getting baptized today? My name is Robin Cross, and I'm getting baptized because I love God, and I want him born to my heart. Hey, Amen. Well, we're so proud of you today. If you would take a step down here, get ready to baptize you. And today, as she's getting ready, if you would just extend a hand, I want to say a prayer, a blessing over her, and that God would come and move and, and change her life today. And so, Lord, right now, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for Robin. Lord, we thank you for everything that you have done in her life, Lord. And right now, we, we thank you even that the symbol of baptism, Lord, that it means that old things are washed away and that she is made new, that she would come up a new creation in Christ and freedom and a newness of life. And so, Lord, we thank you for that today, Lord. And today we say we baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, be blessed, be filled. Amen, amen. amen. How many believe we've had church today? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, amen. Well, as we get ready to go, a reminder, uh, if you want to give, there's ushers back there, like if you want to give the Gideons or something, and there's giving centers back there. But let's stand to our feet, and we'll sing through one more time, and you feel free to dismiss yourself. Lord, we just thank you for a great day. People added to the church today and to your kingdom in Jesus' name. Lord, I give you my heart. Give you my soul, and I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm away. Lord, have your way in me. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my. worship so feel free to hang out with us as long as you'd like if you need prayer for anything let let us know and uh, everybody you can be dismissed at any time just pray that you'd have an awesome day today <laughs>